Have you heard about this concept, IoT? It stands for the Internet of Things. IoT is viewed as the next great technology for the maritime industry. Today, you and I are going to explore what it is, why does it matter, and hear from a founder of an IoT solutions company. This is the Women Offshore Podcast. I'm your host, Ali Cedeno, a mariner and founder of Women Offshore. Women Offshore is a 501c3 nonprofit organization supporting a diverse workforce on the water. If you don't already know, the Women Offshore podcast is a part of OGGN, that is the Oil and Gas Global Network. And there you can find so many great energy podcasts. I will put a link in the show notes. Go have a listen to what's playing there and be in the know regarding energy issues and hot topics. Today, we're talking about IoT, the Internet of Things. It is the connection point between the physical world and the digital world in the maritime industry. Physical systems that make shipping possible have come online, which has led improvements in how ships are operated. So think of it this way. A standard container on a container ship is no longer just a 20-foot-long intermodal steel box carrying goods across an ocean. Today, it's a computer ensuring that the goods are safely carried across the globe. Another way to look at it is a vessel's propulsion system, engine, and machinery are a computer system. IoT is capable of measuring all of the different parameters in a vessel's engine, generator, and other equipment on board. On both the vessel and remotely on land, real-time engine monitoring takes place, thanks to thousands of parameters that can be processed every second. And there are different companies out there. There are different sectors from vessel tracking, emissions control, predictive maintenance, safety, and welfare. There's also supply chain visibility. There's so much to learn about IoT. Here today to share what he is doing in the IoT space is Dustin Varnell, principal at V2 Subsea, a technology solutions provider focused on bridging the gap between technology and the realities of working on the water. Experience, passion, and focus make the culture at V2 Subsea determined to provide solutions that help advance the blue economy. Welcome, Dustin, to the Women Offshore podcast. Hi, Ali. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's really good to have you here, especially as an experienced mariner who's had just such an amazing career after you pivoted to a shoreside role. But let's start out with a sea story. Looking back on your experience offshore, can you share a memorable sea story with us? Yeah, absolutely. My most memorable sea story is actually coming ashore a long time ago when I first started going to sea, maybe not that long ago, but it must have been 2004. I worked in Japan for a couple of years on the Tagus vessels, which are the oceanographic vessels that the Navy uses. And I was working down in the South China Sea, and we were constantly dodging typhoons because they're just always around. They're pretty much year round, like 10 months a year. And at one point, we were kind of trapped, and we went into Sasebo, which was our home base. It's a Japanese port in the Southern Islands, and there's a Navy base there. And we tied up at the dock right as this super typhoon hit Sasebo and it's you're kind of you kind of come up a long channel and you we made it to the dock and as we did it 
we tied up, we, the Japanese came out and like tightened up all of our lines with chain falls. They're, they're very efficient there. They're really well organized. And the entire fleet in the Pacific basically came in. There was like dozens of vessels all moored in the basin there in Sasebo. And the typhoon was really bad. It actually messed up the highlands up there. You're kind of in this basin right on the water level and you're surrounded by mountains. So it's fairly safe. You're open to one direction. So the boats all kind of survived, but even down in the basin where the dock, we were getting like 100 and 100 knot winds, 105 knot winds or something. And I had the watch all night and I just sat there and I was looking at these MSC ships out in the basin, all just, they literally were tied to the moorings and anchored and had their engines like full steam ahead to survive. We were lucky enough to be tied up. And then in the morning, it was actually a crazy time because it was like the 2004 pennant race. It was going into the World Series and the Yankees were playing the Red Sox. And I'd been listening to the, I'm a big Red Sox fan, and I'd been listening to the radio offshore for, we've been out for like 30 days or something. And we came in and it was game seven. So at, at that time, it was like seven in the morning. I got off the watch. I walked to the officer's club and it wasn't even open. And I was like dodging through all these like really like partially ripped down aluminum buildings and just trees falling over. And I make it to the officer's club and I knock on the door and, and there was already one person in there who was watching the game about to start. And so I started watching the game and all of a sudden all these sailors get the launches in from the vessels because it was a bunch of the U.S. fleet. And at seven in the morning, about 30 people showed up watching the Yankees versus the Red Sox. And we watched game seven and the Red Sox beat the Yankees. It was probably just really nice to be able to relax and feel like life's kind of normal after such a hard night where everyone was working so hard to keep their vessels safe. Yeah, that's exactly right. It was pretty stressful. And when we talking to the ca- some of the captains that were there, we everyone ca- had their own story and had gone through some sort of scenario. So as we were watching the game, we, what I just said before about one of the MSC ships was actually anchored because they couldn't get a mooring and the captain had spent the whole night then full, like I think he said half or full ahead, trying to like beat the wind as it veered and like almost, you know, almost make contact with other vessels. So it was just this amazing experience. And, but luckily no one had any significant damage and it all came through. And it was one of those events that it was going to see at that point was very new to me. Like I hadn't done it for very long. So it was just exciting to be there, just all the adventure. And, and you get to meet these cool people and you just, you have that moment with them and then you, you kind of move on. It was really good. It's cool. Yeah. You sailed all over the world. You're probably full of sea stories, but I'm interested in learning how you made that transition from working offshore to shoreside. Can you share with us what that looks like and what skills did you rely on? Yes. I made the transition to shoreside back in 2017, 2018. Uh, I'd been going to sea after getting out of the Maritime Academy. And uh, I guess that's, it was like 14 years, 15 years. And there was a big downturn in the oil and gas industry. And I kind of made a decision. I'd been in, I worked in Brazil for a long time. So I was down in Brazil for like eight years. And I was, you know, one of the only expats really left on the rig with, on the contract. So I'd kind of managed to survive the loss of a contract once on the West Taurus. I was on that vessel for like five years. And then I made my way over to the Savan, Brazil. And there was just a lot of uncertainty. So I decided I always planned to come home eventually, and I, I always wanted to go back to graduate school. So I just made the transition one day. I talked to my wife, and we, we kind of knew that we were going to, you know, to do that. So I went back to school, and I found it kind of difficult. Like the transition, I felt like I was such a would be such a good hire for a company originally. And when I came home, I tried to get work, and I'd saved up money, so I had a little, you know, time. I was on my side a little bit for 
being able to get a job. So I took a kind of like a construction job just doing work because that really felt good after having all that responsibility, just kind of working, doing you know, daily work. I tried to set my goals to get a job that I thought would be fitting for my experience. And I really found that difficult just because of the communication difference. So I would send companies emails and I wouldn't get a response. And I just didn't, I knew what I had to offer after, you know, spending all my time working on these kind of amazing projects at sea and experiencing these big infrastructure building things and the responsibility of being a ship's officer and going back to school really helped with that. And I just dedicated myself to trying to learn how to communicate and really listening to people. That was something I've always tried to do, not always effectively, but do my best to listen. And I just worked to try to communicate and improve. And I'm still working on that. But I think once I went back to school, that was really helpful. Yeah. Going back to school is such a good way to make that transition. I mean, it's what I did, right? So I'm a little biased with your explanation there. But having an institution that you can rely on to kind of guide you through the process of getting with companies and give you a new skill set of whatever you're learning in school is very helpful for that transition. So I understand how that goes. You went on and became the principal owner at V2 Subsea. Can you share what your mission is and can you walk us through one of your latest and exciting projects? So yeah, I'm the principal owner at V2 Subsea and we're a company that was founded in 2019 and our mission is to empower organizations by providing the latest industrial IoT equipment and consultation for integration, training, and customer support. So what we're doing is we're really facilitating the collection of video data for the maritime and blue economy. We are putting organizations in a place where they are able to integrate this new equipment and the latest technology pipeline, and they can use it in their operations. We see a big gap. A lot of shipping companies and offshore energy companies are, are having trouble integrating things like underwater robotics and remote inspection. And I think we can help. We have helped. One of our latest projects was with a company called Oceanetics. Oceanetics is a company that works in the Department of Defense. They do a lot of the offshore infrastructure inspections. We worked with them on a project where we were training one of their director of operations, somebody who's got like 40 years experience in industry. We provided them with the equipment for remote inspection. So they were able to stream a live inspection of video broadcast for some of their offshore equipment. And we also trained them to use the underwater robotics Blue Eye Pro. That equipment from Realware, the HMT, and also from Blue Eye are both video collection devices. They are able to capture video incorporated into things like preventative maintenance and corrective maintenance and safety management. The operation went really well and we were able to save them time and help improve their safety. Normally where you would put a diver in the water and we're able to have that person train them up and they were able to use the underwater drone to capture video of one of the Navy mooring fleets. And we were able to gather all the data so that we could reduce the amount of time that the diver was in the water doing their inspection. And it went really well. With a project like that, how long does it take from the initial request to the final outcome? This has been a long time going. The project itself started, you know, the conversations for this project started almost a year ago. With the opportunity, we got buy-in from the company. We actually met the owners of the company and showed them the infrastructure, like the mini ROV did the operation. And then it took a, it took a good couple of days to train up somebody who's already really has m much more experience of marine operations than I do. Someone who's been doing mooring, these advanced mooring and pipe inspections for just decades. 
so it, the overall project, you know, we're planning everything took about a year, but then it took about a week of inspection and then the ROV is over in Asia now for about a month. When I look at your career, I see how your degrees, your experience offshore, your leadership skills as a ship officer, they've all come together to support you as an entrepreneur. So naturally, I need to ask you some questions about being an entrepreneur. And since this is the Women Offshore podcast, what does diversity and inclusion mean to you? And what does it look like in your organization? Does it drive your strategy? Yes, absolutely. I got some very good advice a long time ago from a captain on a vessel. And the best way to build out a crew or to build out an organization is to have diverse people. If you had everybody with the same attributes and the same skill sets and the same thought process, you would not have a strong, robust organization. So as a ship's officer, I've always tried to make sure that the people working on the vessel have always the ability to have different types of mindsets, different types of skill sets, different genders is very important. And you want to include everybody and you want to make sure that you give people a chance to work. And the people who have those skill sets, oftentimes different skill sets, oftentimes are will actually pull you in, in when things go wrong. They'll actually provide, you know, the solutions or the, the provide, you know, the awareness to get the job done properly. And that's the best way to operate. And that's, I've seen that time and time again, offshore in my startup, we are absolutely including all types of people and whoever is going to be the best fit for the job. So yes, I think inclusion and diversity are very important. Thanks for sharing that story too, and how it's that moment has carried you through your career and shaped how you lead. Before we wrap up, is there anything else you would like to share with us, Dustin? Thank you very much for having me. We have an organization up here in New England. We're working nationwide. We have some operations down in Miami and also up here in the Northeast. We really see an opportunity to incorporate video from remote inspection and remote mentoring for things like at sea and import for things like mobilization, marine warranty survey, heavy lifts, as well as offshore energy. We also see an opportunity to really streamline subsea operations where you're using underwater drones for inspections, for scientific surveys. And we think we can, with the support and the equipment we have, we can really reduce the cost and also improve safety. So please get in touch with us at V2 Subsea. It's www.v2subsea.com. If you have any questions or want to learn more, we'll work with all organizations from service providers to shipping companies to energy companies. Thanks so much, Dustin. I appreciate you coming on the show and giving us an inside look into V2 Subsea and your career. Thank you so much, Ali. Thanks for having me. Before you go, here are some events on deck from my colleague Savannah at the Oil & Gas Global Network. Hey everybody, it's Savannah from OGGN and here are the events on deck for August 2021. This month we have five events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. This month, OGGN will be hosting our monthly happy hour at the Cannon in Houston, Texas on August 26th. Our July happy hour was a hit, so if you weren't there for the last one, we hope to see you there this month. At this event, you'll be able to meet some of OGGN's hosts, network with other oil and gas industry professionals, all while enjoying great food and drinks. Other than OGGN's events, we have three in-person events and one hybrid in-person and online event. First up, we have our three in-person events, the first being OTC, or the Offshore Technology Conference, at NRG Stadium in Houston, Texas, from August 16th to the 19th. 
Next, we have the IPAA Leaders in Industry Luncheon at the Petroleum Club of Houston on August 17th. And lastly, we have the 2021 Connected Plant Conference at the Renaissance Hotel in Austin, Texas from August 30th to September 2nd. Other than our three in-person events, we have our hybrid event, which is NAEP, or the North American Prospect Expo. Now this summit is a hybrid event because it's both online and in-person. The in-person portion of the event will be from August 18th to the 20th at the George R. Brown Convention Center, while the online portion of the event is from August 9th to September 3rd. If you have any questions about these events or any podcasts within the Oil & Gas Global Network, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for August. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in.